Hey, good morning, everybody. Yeah, I tell you, it's good to be here today. I missed you last week. And uh, God is good, isn't he? That's what I want to say. I um, thanks so much for your prayers. And so recovery happens, and that's in, I'm in that process. So we'll just go forward with what God gives. Uh, I was just amazed by, uh, in the first service, uh, how God works and moves so many times in spite of us, uh, around us. Uh, and that song we just sang is so powerful. And uh, as we're singing that song, it's talking about all the things that we can be grateful for, for what Christ has done in us. You know, that uh, I'm so thankful I have this love for him because I was blind, but now I see. I was a captive, but I've been set free, and I have this hope. And, uh, you know, I was just singing that this morning in the first service. And uh, honestly, midweek, I changed my talk because I was just in a, I had an infection and had all kinds of uh, mental, emotional things going on with that and just was in a fog. And I just felt like God directed me to change my talk a little bit. And uh, it fits so well with that song. I just knew that that was a God thing, that he was directing me all that time. And uh, what I want to focus on for just a second in that song is that it's talking about all this stuff that I can receive as someone who said yes to Jesus, okay? That this is true for me. I was lost, but now I'm found, it said. And, And I love that. I love that we can celebrate that. But the way that it really worked for me this morning, uh, and I think it's going to fit so well with where we're going to go today, is that it's God's desire that everybody be able to sing that song. It's God's desire that every person be able to have that experience. And Jesus came that we could have life, and he came that as we have that life, then we would give that life away to others. We talk about his purpose today. Well, our purpose is in alignment with his purpose uh, as we look at that. And so I'm just so excited that, uh, you know, even in our music, I love our music every week and uh, how oftentimes it'll just surprise me. God will just, you know, have a you know, surprise moment because I know what I'm getting ready to talk about. And Dave and I have kind of talked about it. He had no idea that I changed my talk today and how well that song was going to fit. But God did, okay? Yay, God. So here we are. Uh, when I set, uh, stood up here the last time on uh, January 26th at our Radiate experience, I, I was uh, grateful for President Obama and uh, his words in his inaugural address. And this is what he said as he was giving his inaugural address. He was kicking off his next four years. He says this, we are made for this moment. We are made for this moment. You know, and as much as I uh, uh, appreciate his idealism uh, and his belief that government really can change things. Uh, I would not agree with his philosophy in that direction uh, because I believe that government's incapable of changing things, uh, that the only way that change will ever be made is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual deal. And so uh, what I loved about it is he says, you know, hey, we're made for this moment. We'll do what we can do in government. But I'm saying this, you and I are made for this moment. And we are made for what God wants to do. The Bible makes it so clear that at just the right time, God had sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. At just the right time, Jesus came. And then what I want to encourage you with is that you are here at this time. 
This is the time that God birthed you. This is the time he made you. You are here for this moment and this moment in time, and he can use you in a way that will change lives if you let him. I was in the hospital for a week, and as I was laying there in bed, obviously I didn't want to be there, right? And, uh, you know, I just appreciated all of the nurses around me, and I used that opportunity to, because just come off of Radiate, and so how can I radiate the love of Christ here? And so God used me in some ways I could just tell uh, with uh, some awesome, wonderful nurses he provided for me and doctors, but he's just showing me that everywhere we go, he wants us to be his light, as we talked about at Radiate. If you haven't, you know, didn't get to be here that day, watch it online, okay? And you can hear what I talked about that day. And that we get to radiate, and that's the purpose he has for us in life. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at an encounter that Jesus Christ had. And then we're going to look at how he describes his mission and he describes his purpose, and then how that fits us as well. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 14. If you want to grab your message notes out, you can use those to follow along as well. Right at the top of your message notes, uh, John writes this. He says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Live their lives as Jesus did. So that's what we're looking at in this series, is how did Jesus live, and then how, do I, how can I be like him? Now, one of the things that is clear, it's just as clear as it can be, one of the things we don't have to wonder about is why Jesus came to earth. He states it several times in several different places in different ways. He lets us know why he came to earth. He says, this is why I'm here. And one of those is recorded in Luke chapter 19 that Pastor John read to us just a moment ago. It says this, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Son of man, he's identifying himself at that place. And the son of man is a phrase that's used primarily for the Messiah. So when he's used that phrase, he's referring himself as the Messiah at this point and making it clear that he came. Here's his purpose. He came to seek and he came to save those who are lost. So he came to seek. He's saying that I'm going out. I'm looking for, I'm searching. I'm involved in getting to experience. I want them to see. So he's going out and he is seeking. He came to seek and he came to save. So he came to offer salvation. He came to offer freedom. And so when we get in a moment to think about our purpose, then he called us to also seek. We can't save, but we can introduce people to the Savior. So we can do that. So our job is to seek and to introduce people to Jesus Christ so that he can give them freedom. He can set them free. Now the word lost, the word lost can get all kinds of confusion and uh, and actually uh, a lot of folks who would never go to church think that it's a term of derision. Like, I'm lost, so I'm the bad one, and, and you are all the in ones, you're the found ones, you're the ones that are, you know, like it's a we them kind of thing. And really, uh, it's a term of endearment, uh, as the Bible expresses it. I've defined this for you before, but I'll say it again. The term lost means those whom God loves most. Those whom God loves most. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for the lost. Those God loves most. So when we come to this place, we realize that he's called us to be engaged in helping those God loves most to know and experience his son. 
So what's gonna, we're going to kind of set up what's going on here as we get into our story today, just a little bit. So what's happening is that Jesus' ministry has been initiated, and it was initiated with his baptism. And next Sunday, I'm going to talk about Jesus' baptism. I told First Service, I've been wanting to do a message on Jesus' baptism since 1997. I went back in my notes to see where it was. 1997, I'm just now getting to it, okay? So I got a lot of things to say. I'm grabbing all the way back to 97, and we're going to talk about Jesus' baptism next week. So that was the initiatory right act of his ministry. And then after that, he went into the wilderness. Pastor John did a great job last week at talking about how Jesus overcame temptation in the wilderness. And then after that moment, he began enlisting disciples and he started into his itinerant teaching ministry. He was going around teaching. And during this time, it was about a year's time from the time that he was in the wilderness till the time where our story is going to be today was about one year. And during this one year period of time, uh, Jesus, uh, he turned water into wine. Uh, He had the encounter with the money changers in the temple. Uh, He healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, and uh, he uh, had the encounter with Nicodemus at night. Uh, He even had the encounter with the woman at the well. Uh, We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. And so Jesus has started his teaching ministry. He started his miracle ministry, and his star is rising. People are talking about him. They're expressing uh, who is this teacher? Who is this great one who's come? At this point, everybody's in love with him. Everybody likes him. His star is rising. And this is before the day of smartphones and Twitter and Facebook and all the, you know, all the things we do today for rising stars, okay, to make sure their star keeps rising. Well, his is doing it automatically uh, because of the things he's doing. So this is about a year period. So after a year now, he's moving back in to his home region. He's moving back into Galilee, and specifically, he's going to end up in his, the the town he grew up in called Nazareth, okay? And so people were just drawn to him, not only because of his miracles, but because they saw in him something, someone, and he was able to make God come alive to them so that they were able to realize that God loved them and God wanted to be in relationship with them and that God was fresh and God wasn't stale and God wasn't about religion. So people were enamored with the teaching of Jesus Christ. So here he is in Nazareth. Look at verse 14. It says, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. So when he was, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit then uh, came upon him at his baptism, then drove him into the wilderness then inspired him through his temptation. And now everything Jesus is doing is underneath the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is key for you and me. If we're going to be able to fulfill God's purpose in life, we have got to be under the, whole, the power of God's Holy Spirit. And we've got to be listening to what God says to us and trusting him to guide us. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The role of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So we're going to pause there before we go on to read actually what Jesus read on that day. This is just really cool. Okay, what's going on is Jesus came to the synagogue. Now the synagogue... I understand this. This is like the local church, okay? So we've got the temple, and then we've got the synagogue. Every village or town of at least 10 males had a synagogue. In the synagogue, they built a building. It was the library of the community, and it housed the scriptures. And out of the synagogue, this is where they taught the scriptures. Started with Ezra, 
after the captivity, when the children of Israel came back to captivity and Ezra found the this, this scroll of the law and opened up and read it, then they realized that we must be reading the scroll, reading God's word and teaching it to our people so that we never forget what God said. And that was the purpose. And that's what happened in the synagogue. Uh, and so uh, it's a really cool thing, okay? Because then they established all these synagogues. Here's a really, really how God works. It's just amazing. They, they established all these synagogues, and now when Jesus Christ came, he had automatic teaching points he could go to that had already been established by God through Ezra. So he had a place to go to teach in every town and every village, a place people would come to already accustomed to hearing from God, already set up to have church, this was their local church that they would have at this point. It's just awesome. And so what would happen is, uh, is that they would have a teacher, and uh, they had several positions in the synagogues, and they'd have a teacher, and the teacher's job was to read from the, the scriptures, uh, the scriptures they had at the time in the Old Testament, and then he would talk about it. He would teach what he had just read and expound on it from the scripture so that people could understand what was going on. So, but anytime a traveling rabbi came to town, this teacher, he would realize, wow, you know what? I teach every week. You know, they got a fresh voice here. And so let's hear what the fresh voice has to say so that they would invite the visiting rabbi to teach at this moment. So it's kind of like it's already set up when Jesus comes in that he's the visiting rabbi. He's going to be asked. But not only that, it's his hometown. He's the hometown boy. And they've been waiting for Jesus to come. They've been enamored by, you know, hearing all the stories, all the miracles inside. They're going, this is Joseph's son. You know, what's going on here? I can't imagine this being Joseph's son. And yet they, and so on the day that Jesus comes to teach in the synagogue, you can imagine it's standing room only, right? Just standing room only because everybody wants to hear what Jesus has to say. This is a really cool moment that's going on here. And so what happens is uh, they had a, a, they had a process of reading through the scriptures, and so they are in Isaiah. So when Jesus comes into the synagogue, they hand him the scroll of Isaiah, and, uh, and so that Jesus could open it up. Now, this is just a really cool thing, and you need to hear this. There are no coincidences with God. There are no coincidences with God. It was not a coincidence that day that when Jesus came to the synagogue, they were reading through Isaiah. It was exactly the, the, the book of the Bible, the scroll of the Bible that Jesus wanted that day with exactly the two verses that he was going to open up and come to and to read that day. There are no coincidences with God. Now, there, I just want to say that, folks, because there's a lot of times that we're sitting there and we're wondering, what does God want us to do? What does God want us to do? What does God want us to do? And what I want to encourage you with is to do what you know and trust that God will provide because there are no coincidences with God. So do what you know and trust him to provide oftentimes. And so that's what happened with Jesus. He walked into the synagogue. They're reading Isaiah. They hand it to him. It was exactly what God had ordained. It could have seemed like a coincidence to everyone in the room, but it was exactly what God had ordained. So Jesus stood up and he read, and this is what he read. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. So he's kind of finished, and so the teacher in that day would sit, and all the audience would stand as the teacher 
taught. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. I'd say that's an understatement because of exactly what Jesus has done by reading this section of the scripture. But then he says this, he makes it really clear. There's no confusion here at all. He says this, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. There is no way I can overemphasize the significance of what Jesus has just done. He draws a line in the sand that day. He's declaring these verses, these verses that you have held on to for all these years, promising you the coming Messiah, these verses have been fulfilled today in me. In me. They were predicting my arrival and I am here. This is why I came. This is my purpose. And this divided everyone with Jesus Christ from then on out, those who believed he was the Messiah and those who believed he could never be the Messiah and that they were then out to kill him. In fact, as you read on in these verses, I didn't include this. It says at the end of Jesus' teaching time, they wanted to kill him. And so immediately now Jesus says, after a year of everybody loving him, he's set it up exactly who it is and how they would. And so he set up the dividing line, same dividing line we have today. Those who believe Jesus is Christ and those who don't believe Jesus is Christ. And he set it up. And so they, from then on, they thought about killing him. Now, in verse 43 of chapter four, he goes on to just kind of give a synopsis of what he just read. And uh, as he's talking and he says this, verse 43, I must preach, teach, instruct, tell the good news, the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Would you circle that? For this purpose. I was sent for this purpose. That was the purpose of Jesus Christ. He was sent to preach, teach, instruct, guide people into the good news of the kingdom of God. And then what Jesus would say to you and me is he says this, he says, and I am giving you the same purpose. Those who've said yes to Christ. If you haven't said yes to Christ, this is not your purpose. If you said yes to Christ, this is your purpose. There is no confusion. It's not, oh, I wonder you know, what college I should pick and what career I should take. And then I wonder how much money I should make. Oh, I should make a lot of money. I wonder how many kids I should have. I wonder where we should live. I wonder where, how we should, when we should retire. I wonder what we should do in retirement. Those are awesome things that we spend some time on. But Jesus asked us to spend the majority of our time on focusing on his purpose, and that is to seek and save the lost, to be part of the process of helping people to come to know Christ. It is our primary purpose if you're a follower of Christ. Some of you are like, what? You gotta be kidding me. I gotta make a living, Ron. Look at all the stuff that I can do and have and be and go and, you know, what my primary, your primary purpose. And so this is a challenging, very challenging time in our talk today as we talk about this kind of deal. And Jesus says this, I have given you an example to follow. When he said that, he wasn't saying, I have given you an example that you might choose to follow if you want. He says, I have given you an example to follow. And then he would just add, follow it. Follow me. Do what I've guided you to do. Now, turn your notes over and let's talk about Jesus said, the kingdom of God. When he says he came to bring the kingdom of God and what it was that he was going to do, what was his purpose, and then what we can do as well. We're going to look at five, actually four metaphors. And uh, as we look at these metaphors, every metaphor 
is designed to draw us back to those who are lost. So they're metaphors for those who are lost, but they're also descriptions of those who are hurting, those who are also needing help. And so we have a spiritual component and we have a physical emotional component with all. Primary is spiritual, but there's also a physical emotional. And one of the ways that we're going to help people who are most loved by God to be able to accept Christ is the first thing we have to do is meet their physical and emotional needs. And as we meet their physical and emotional needs, then we help them to know the truth about their spiritual need. Other times, we help them know their spiritual need, and as they get their spiritual life in order, then God will take care of their emotional and physical needs as well. But we're going to talk about these issues as we go through it. First is this. Jesus came, and so this would be our purpose as well, to proclaim the good news. Proclaim good news. So he came to, said, I came to proclaim good news. I came to tell, to teach, instruct good news. And then he says this, for those who are poor, for those who are destitute, the word poor, same word used in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, when it says the word poor, the word poor means I'm destitute, I'm without, and I can do absolutely nothing about it. Now, sometimes when people are poor, they can do something about it, right? They can, you know, solicit help in some way. Our government maybe can help in some way for some folks who are poor. Some folks can rely on relatives when they're poor. Some folks can, you know, scratch it out by uh, earning, by maybe growing some crops when they're poor. But the example here is that when I'm this poor, I'm this poor, and I can do nothing about it. I've been beaten down. I have no resource. I have no help. I wish I could get on my knees and show you today. But the example is a beggar, and a beggar who's begging, and as they're begging, they have one hand out and one hand arm over their eyes because they're afraid. They've been beaten so many times that they're afraid someone's going to beat them and they can only hope, only hope because you are my only hope. And if you don't give me something today, I am going to starve, but I'm afraid. And that's the picture here of what Jesus is talking about. And folks, that is the picture of those who are poor and don't know, poor in spirit poor in spirit, that they are spiritually poor, that without Christ, we are poor and we can do nothing about it. Absolutely nothing about it. And so what we need is we need to experience the truth of Christ so that he can come into our spiritual poverty that we could do nothing about. Religion tries to do something about it, fails. All kinds of other you know, attempts that you can look at to do something about it. But God says there's only one way, and that way is through Christ. So when we come to know Christ, and he does something about our spiritual poverty. And he comes in, and he sets us free from that. Now, like I said, we've got both the spiritual and the emotional and physical. So our role, if we're going to have the same purpose of Jesus, is that we would look for opportunities to tell the good news that Jesus came to set people free, that Jesus came to give people, to help people to experience God's love. And so we do that. But also, like I said earlier, one of the roles that we have is we may have to meet someone's physical need and emotional needs. This is why in third world countries, Christianity is exploding off the charts because in third world countries, they are coming to people who are physically and emotionally poor and they're meeting those needs, but also they realize that they're destitute and they're more likely, they're saying yes to Jesus Christ in droves. That's why in America it's so hard because we have so much and we're so self-reliant and think that we can make it on our own. 
And yet what we're looking at today is a spiritual poverty. We need to understand everybody without Christ is spiritually bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt, and that we can't assume anything else and we need to help them to know Christ. Second, he came to proclaim deliverance. He came to proclaim deliverance. So what he's talking about here is freedom from captivity. So just so you understand, these metaphors are true for every lost person. Metaphors are true for every lost person, those who God loves most. And so that means that every person without Christ is behind bars. Every person without Christ is behind bars. They are living in captivity and they can do nothing about it, nothing to release themselves. So people who are captives, they have patterns of life that keep them from knowing freedom. So captives. These are people who don't know Christ yet. Captives have false views about sexuality. And so their false views about sexuality, they're captive to it because they can't be set free from it. People who are captive, they have, they have, um, are captive to skewed values about possessions and stuff. So they're captive to this view that if I get more, have more, be more, that I will, I will be you know, happier in life in some way. And so they're captive to that, and they really can't do anything different than that. People who are captive, they're captive to substances, looking for substances to make them feel and make them be somebody. They're captive to unhealthy relationships. So people without Christ are captive, and they need someone, they need a deliverer to set them free. And Jesus said, I am the one who will deliver and set the captives free. Now, once again, it's spiritual captivity. So it's understanding that I can't get out of this captivity I'm in apart from Christ. But when I say yes to Christ, then he opens a door, unlocks it, and opens it up, and I'm able to walk free. But there's also physical and there's emotional captivity. And this is one of the really cool things about the church today, folks, is that the church of our day is choosing to get engaged in helping captives be set free. Uh, one of the you know, really cool ways is through uh, involvement with those who are in... Uh, uh, who are being held captive by slavery. And so the slave trade uh, is just rampant. You know, slavery didn't end with the, uh, President Lincoln saying that the slavery is over. Actually, slavery today is more rampant than it ever was, but especially in the sex trade industry. Uh, and uh, I've just been doing a lot of reading, a lot of exposure to this lately. And uh, Sacramento, uh, the Sacramento region is one of the hubs of the sex trade industry in America. Sacramento? You're kidding. Yeah, it is. It's one of the hubs of the sex trade industry in America. And so there are a lot of folks who are just wanting to engage and getting involved to help especially young girls be set free from this sex trade industry. If you want to know more about this, I know our, one of our partners is William Jessup University down in Rockland. They're having a seminar this weekend on Friday and Saturday on the sex trade industry and how we can get involved in helping these captives be set free uh, from the woes who oppress them and hold them down. It's on the 20, yeah, 22nd and 23rd. If you want more information, wju.org, and you can go out and find out. You might want to attend that and maybe get engaged in some way. Third, he came to proclaim truth. He came to proclaim truth. It says in Isaiah and then in Luke 4, he came to heal blindness. And when it's talking about here, when we talk about the lost, it's the blindness of unbelief. The blindness of unbelief. Those who don't know Christ are spiritually blind. 
And I talked about this a lot in the last series, you know, that anytime that we want to have a conversation and we want to have it in a spiritual realm about what the Bible says and about what God says, and we're having it with someone who doesn't know Christ, we're talking ourselves into a frenzy and we're actually maybe at sometimes doing more harm than good because the person you're talking to is spiritually blind and not able to, in that blindness, be able to hear the gospel, hear God's word as it's being talked about because they're spiritually blind. But Jesus says this. He says, here's the deal. I came that you would know the truth and the truth would set you free. So he says, I came to take the blinders off that you would see the truth and then that truth would set you free and be able to allow you to uh, experience freedom. Now, I was thinking about this yesterday and I, I wrote down a phrase that for me really struck a chord and uh, it's something I just want to keep meditating on in the next few weeks. But I wrote down this phrase yesterday when I was thinking about this whole idea of how people need to have the blinders taken off. Here it is. It's easier to tell people what they want to hear than to tell people the truth they need to hear. Right? It's easier to tell people what they want to hear. Oh my word, it's easy to do that. Because <laughs> you know what people want. Because it's the same thing you want. But there are times God calls us to tell people what they need to hear. And that is the truth. Now, we have to do it in a good way, right? We can't shoot people with the truth. Uh, we can't grab placards and go stand on the corner and yell, turn or burn to everybody who comes by. Some folks do that. I don't think that's a good way. Uh, but what he calls us to do is in appropriate situations to speak the truth that we know in a caring way, in a loving way, realizing that when you tell someone what they need to hear, they may not want to hear it. But that's our responsibility, is to tell people what they need to hear, not necessarily what they want to hear. And Jesus said, that's what I came to do, and that's what I want you to do as well. Fourth, he came to proclaim hope. He came to proclaim hope. And this is giving freedom to those who are oppressed. Now, those who are oppressed is a category. And uh, once again, these are people who don't know Christ. And so they live underneath the rule, the authority of Satan, uh, and under the authority and the rule of others who are uh, holding them down, oppressing them. Those who are uh, abusing their power and those who are ruthless and heartless and holding them down. So they're overwhelmed by the pain of life that they just can't seem to get out from under it and they see no hope. They're overwhelmed by relationships that are abusive and they can't get out from under that sense that there's no hope. They're overwhelmed by illness. They're overwhelmed by the economy. They're overwhelmed by the things that come at us in life that just seem unbearable till they are literally beaten down just beaten down. And Jesus is saying, that's what someone's like who doesn't know me. They have not yet experienced the freedom of being uh, uh, the, set free from the bondage of being oppressed by Satan and oppressed by those who rule over them. And so he says, I came that they could be under my rule and under my rule that they're set free and they're no longer oppressed. And then fifth, he came to proclaim God's grace. He came to proclaim God's grace. And it's talking about the year of the Lord's favor. That's how Isaiah 61, that's how Luke 4, you know, 4 ended, is the, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's actually one of the most remarkable statements in the Bible. 
He's talking about the concept of jubilee. And if you want to know more about jubilee, you probably want to Google that and study it a little bit. I don't have time. I wish I had time. don't have time today to do that because it's fascinating when you look at it. Uh, Leviticus talks all about the concept of jubilee. But really, what he's saying here is that all that I've just talked about, that when I said the poor, I came for the poor. I came for those to set the captives free. I came to, to give the blind sight. I came that the oppressed might... All that, all that I came to give freely. It's God's grace. I came that people could experience life. Just amazing when Jesus came, that he said, I'm going to inaugurate God's kingdom on earth, and it's going to be different than anything that any of you have ever experienced, and this is what it is, and now I'm going to build a movement. I'm going to inspire an organization, an organism who will live for me and its purpose. Every party who's part of this, their purpose is to do the same thing that I was called to do. The same thing I come, came to bring to earth. And he said this, John 20, he says this, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And so today I just want to ask you to think about this. I want to ask you, would you be willing to say, to acknowledge my primary purpose is to seek and to help the lost know the good news about Christ. My primary purpose. So now I'm going through life and I'm pursuing my career. I'm, you know, raising my children. I'm planning for retirement. I'm taking care of all the possessions that I own. And in the process of that, I'm also saying, okay, that's but my primary. So I get, I allow myself to be distracted. I allow myself to be pulled aside. I allow myself to see people that I run into as people who need Christ, just as I needed Christ, just as I'm so grateful that I found him. And I can sing songs like we sang a while ago about how awesome it is to know Christ and to be in relationship with him. I want every person to know that. I want every person to know that same experience. So what we're going to do now is we're going to move into a time of communion. And in our time of communion today, we're going to reflect on what Jesus has done for us and by going to the cross for us and dying for us there. And as he was our substitution for what we should have received, and then because of what he's done for us, that we've been set free and we now live for his purpose. But I want to set communion up by showing you a video. And uh, I believe this is going to help us to focus on the gratitude we have for the cross. This is the story of a man named Steve Scheibner. Uh, he was an American Airlines pilot. Uh, Steve Scheibner, he was following the guidelines for American Airlines pilots. So they're in between flights and they still have hours available and they want to get another flight. They would go on to the American Airlines website, log in, and they would look for flights that fit their you know, expertise, their you know, qualifications and then they would sign up for a flight. Well, Steve Scheibner did exactly that. He went out and found a flight. That flight was leaving from Boston to LA. He put his name in to take the flight, and then he began the process. He's an experienced pilot. The process was that he would you know, pack his bags. He would get his uniforms out of the closet because they kept them ready to go. He had, you know, talked with his wife. He did errands. He did things around the house that he needed to do. But the process is that you'll receive a confirmation call. He never did receive the confirmation call, so later that day, he went out on the American Airlines website, and he noticed 
when he did that that he had been bumped. The way the system works, if a senior pilot wants that spot, they can bump you. So it's kind of like the deal. So you get a flight. If you get to keep it, you got it. But if not, if a senior wants it, he can get it. A guy named Tom McGinnis also saw the flight was available. And so he bumped Steve and took the flight himself. So all this happened on September 10th, 2001. The next morning, Tom McGinnis, he gets in the cockpit of flight 11 out of Boston, headed to L.A., but it never made it to L.A. That flight turned out to be the first plane that hit the World Trade Center in New York City. That horrendous morning we'll never forget. And in the horror and tragedy of all that happened when Steve Scheibner heard the news and knew what had happened, imagine what Steve Scheibner felt. Imagine what he thought when you realized how close you came to death until someone else took your seat. Now, that's you. Imagine how that would affect your sense of purpose and life, knowing what had happened. Well, let's hear what Steve has to say about that story. 20 years ago, I wrote a life objective. And my life objective goes like this. It's to seek, trust, and glorify God through humble service and continual prayer to raise up qualified disciples as quickly as possible so that someday I might hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. The events of September 11th took that life objective that I already had and it intensified it for me. The fire just keeps getting hotter as I get older. But someday, I want to stand in the Lord's presence. And I want him to say, well done. I saw where I should have died, but I didn't. And now, there's an obligation that comes with that. I've got to live my days with a sense of urgency. I have to make sure I get the most out of them. Not the most for me. That's, I think we, we live in a world where everybody's kind of out to get the most for them. This is not about me. This is about the distinct privilege I've been given to know that somebody died in my place. What I know is that somebody died in my place not once, but twice. That's where God comes into the whole thing for me. See, Tom sat in a seat that I was qualified to sit in. And and by all rights, that was my seat that day. I should have been in that seat. In fact, I've sat in the very seat of that airplane that Tom was in. I've flown all of the the 757s and 767s American Airlines own. So I know what it's like literally to sit in that seat. But I am still, all these years later, still qualified to sit in that seat. And I could have. But Tom didn't die for my sins. You see, God sent his own son to die for my sins. Jesus Christ was the other one who died in my place. And he hung and he bled and he suffered on a cross to pay a price for me that I wasn't qualified to pay. I couldn't have hung on the cross. I didn't have the same qualifications. So one guy sat in a seat that I should have sat in, the other hung in blood on a cross. One is far more significant than the other. That's not to trivialize what happened to Tom. It's to elevate um, and glorify what God did for me and for mankind on the cross.
So when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you have essentially established the reality that someone else took your seat, that someone else took your place. First Peter says this, it says, Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you were healed. And with that in mind, that he took your seat, he took your place. And that he's given you a purpose to help other people have that same experience. May our fire just burn. May the fire burn that people experience that same love. I'm going to ask our ushers to move into place, and they're going to move and uh, service our communion elements today. And as they service, just know that uh, this is a time for you to reflect and also just to be aware of people around you, just not to talk. And when you receive the elements, take a piece of the bread and a cup and then hold it, and then we'll all have communion together in just a few moments. So uh, ushers, just go ahead and begin serving if you would. So this piece of bread that you're holding in your hand, it represents Jesus' body. And the Bible teaches that for every person who was spiritually poor, spiritually captive, oppressed, blind, that because we don't see, because we're not free, because we've not experienced Christ, the brutal part of this is the Bible says we deserve judgment. And that that judgment is, has a penalty. And when Jesus went to the cross, he became a substitute for us. He took our seat, so to speak. And what we deserved, he took. And so everything that Jesus took on his body was due me and you. And so when we eat this, we eat it with gratitude. And we say, Jesus, thank you for suffering for me. Let's eat this. But in the Old Testament, specifically, when it talks about sacrifice, a sacrifice had to have death and blood. And the blood was the cleansing. The blood was the shedding. A pure lamb had to be killed, and it's blood shed that would cover the sins. And then as Jesus died, the New Testament expressed this, that he became the entry into a new covenant a new relationship, but it required the shedding of blood of a perfect lamb, which he was. And so when you drink this, say, Jesus, thank you for making it possible that I could know God. When we focus on Jesus like this, sometimes it just leaves us astounded and amazed I'm going to invite you just to listen. Maybe you want to sing along a little bit with this song. 
It's talking about being amazed about Christ. God, as much as I look forward to that day personally, as grateful as I am for Jesus, as much as I want to look into his face and just declare how amazed I am and how much in love I am with him, God, my heart beats today for my neighbors who just moved in next door, for the ones across the street that we've been trying to build relationship with, for the people I run into the grocery store, the other places that I frequent, God, for the people that you put in front of me at the hospital last week. God, my heart beats for them that they would be able to sing these same words and have the same joy, God. Lord, I pray that you would light a fire in us about your purpose. We would be unrestrained and we wouldn't be able to be contained as we give ourselves to what you've called us to do, where you've called us to go, to seek and to bring the good news to those who are lost. May we engage in your purposes fully. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.